creators that take their eye off that ball, that's where the problem starts. What do you know, Neil, or what did you know? <laughs> is that a realistic future for creators? That is going to happen. Don't get any ideas from this, Neil. Would you want to choose amongst 10 artificially generated? No. It doesn't necessarily feel like a priority to YouTube. Why? The magic of YouTube is that we can upload videos to the platform and get paid through a revenue share model. And that technology that allows for that to happen was built in large part by Neil Mohan. We had an hour with Neil at the YouTube offices in New York City. So we asked as many questions as we could and we gave him our feedback on the platform. In this episode, we talked to Neil about the impact of shorts on YouTube. We also talk about our concerns about AI generated content. And we ask him what creators need to know about the future of YouTube. All right. Here's our conversation with YouTube CEO, Neil Mohan. When I first started making YouTube videos in 2010, to my Indian parents, it was a very confusing career choice. And uh, I think it's like such a monumental moment in my career to be sitting here with the CEO of YouTube, and not only the CEO of YouTube, but the Indian CEO of YouTube. And I just wanted to share that for my family, like knowing that I was doing this was such a big marker in my career of success. Um, so I'm really grateful for you coming on the show and, I, and being a part of this. Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that very much. Um, I try to explain sort of what I do day to day. I think it still gets lost with, yeah. with my mom. Uh, but I'm uh, curious, so how, did you, how did you explain yeah, it in parents. 2010? In 2010, it was hard to explain, but it was like, at the time, I was pitching it as I was making a TV network on the internet. I, I had actually worked for a year in Hollywood, mm -hmm. and I really didn't like it. It felt like it was a very lengthy process. I felt capable of doing everything involved in that process. Yeah. So I pitched it like that, and I worked on the you know in my bedroom at my parents' house uploading videos. And originally there was excitement, but you know over the next two years, as it was it was a slow growth for me, it wasn't explosive. I think they got increasingly more concerned, you know, <laughs> until it finally worked. Uh, yeah. Which now was you can years. say, I told you so, mom. Yeah. Dad. Now yes. I can be like, look, many, many years later. Neil uncle says it's cool to do this, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. no, it's great to be here with, yeah. with, with both of you. Obviously I'm like the whole team at YouTube, you know, are big admirers of, of what you guys do. You really are like, like connoisseurs of this whole creator economy. And so it's, Great to be here. I'm going to write that word yeah, down. I appreciate Never it. Yeah, that. That's nice. Connoisseurs is nice. for us. Yeah. <laughs> so I want our audience to have a better understanding of who you are and some of your background. And for Samir and I, he mentioned, like, we first started uploading to YouTube 2010, 2011. Uh, it would be the first of many channels that we would start. And I'm curious, 2010, 2011, where are you in your relationship to YouTube, your YouTube journey? Where yeah. are you at that time? Well, actually, you know, to give you sort of the whole story, I, I'll start even earlier than that. So um, so I've been at Google for a very long time, 15 years, um, and um, kind of roughly about half my time at Google has been at YouTube. And prior to that, I was responsible. I, I you know, I ran our display and video ads products. So I was on the advertising side of our business. But the reason why that's relevant is that before either I or YouTube were part of Google, YouTube was my biggest, one of my biggest partners when I was at DoubleClick, helping run DoubleClick. And DoubleClick was the company that, you know, we sold to Google. And, and um, it's kind of like the infrastructure or the kind of the backbone of advertising across the internet. 
And I still remember this um, before I was at Google. There was this like small company above a pizza parlor in San Mateo, California that I would visit um, because they were one of our fastest growing clients. And I would go there and I'd talk uh, to the folks um, at YouTube about making sure that everything that I was building at DoubleClick was keeping pace with like this crazy growth that they were experiencing on video. And this is like, I'm talking like 2000 seven, maybe even earlier than that. And so that's really my relationship with Google. I was responsible for helping monetize YouTube before either of us showed up at Google. And so when I came to Google, when we sold DoubleClick to Google, um, YouTube was part of kind of my portfolio from a monetization standpoint. So I continued sort of that journey of working with YouTube, but really from the standpoint of helping YouTube and creators on the platform earn money through advertising. So the advertising products that we ultimately offered to advertisers, how, how we thought about you know, managing yield on the platform, all of that was my purview. And so I worked very closely with YouTube from that standpoint. And then uh, you know, that was through kind of the acquisition of YouTube and DoubleClick. Fast forward a few years, come around 2015, my boss, who was uh, on the ad side, Susan Wojcicki, my good friend, she was over at YouTube and she said, hey, do you want to come over and help you know, build products at YouTube? And so, of course, I jumped at that opportunity, A, to work with her again, but also to do what I was doing on the advertiser side, but bring it to the consumer vision as well as what we were building for creators like all of you. And so that's when I came over as the chief product officer back in back in 2015 now. Um, and so my my kind of relationship with YouTube has gone all the way back to 2007. I'm curious. I feel like for creators, it's easy for Samir and I to know like what we're best at. There's two of us. I feel like I'm more on the creative side. Samir has been more on the business side. Of course, they overlap. Uh, but we know what makes us unique and probably uniquely qualified to sort of succeed at what we do. What do you think makes you uniquely qualified to be a good CEO of YouTube? I'd actually take it back to even before, um, you know, kind of my professional career began. I was born in Indiana. I grew up in Michigan for most of my childhood. So, uh, and I remember um, growing up in this small town in Michigan, you know, I had lots of friends. I did what, you know, kids that age did, little league teams, et cetera. But I also remember sort of distinctly, and maybe you have, you know, similar experience, I was like, you know, there was like two Indian kids in the entire school district. The other one also happened to be named Neil. <laughs> I think I was a little bit better at baseball than he was, but like we were like the two kids. And, you know, it was, there was nothing, you know, nothing in particular about that, but I just, I kind of noticed that. And so I always had this sort of like kind of outsider's perspective on, on that. And I feel like, you know, ever since I can remember sort of the thing that sort of strung everything together for me was was like storytelling. That's why I feel like, you know, I have such an, you know, kind of, uh, I'm, I'm so attracted to sort of that media side of, mm -hmm. of YouTube. And at the same time, I've always been a technologist at heart, right? Like I had like my own little software company when I was in high school. I loved messing around with computers. And the dream for me is like putting those two things together. And I couldn't think of anything that is the perfect encapsulation of that more than YouTube. Yeah, I would also say I, I had a similar experience to you growing up. And I would say what YouTube offered to me. Where did you grow up? By the I grew way? up in LA. Okay. Um, and I had a similar experience. And what YouTube offered to me was an opportunity to find people like me, mm -hmm. right? Because like you can feel like an outsider. And then mm -hmm. as the internet emerged, you were like, oh, 
there's other people interested in this niche thing. Mm -hmm. Like our first YouTube channel was about lacrosse. Mm -hmm. That was pretty niche uh, yeah. in 2010 to do, but we found tens of thousands and then eventually hundreds of thousands of people who are interested in the same thing. Yeah. It's almost like finding your tribe yeah. on the internet. You make which, me feel a little old uh, right. because I didn't have that when I was a kid. No, you but, did not. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, we, but that, but that, that connect connection is really kind of what I'm Yeah. You could describe, sound so. like a fax to someone, right? That's <laughs> Or I could pick up to, a magazine that was like okay, a Okay. More of a magazine. magazine. Yeah, yes. yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> My dad used to send faxes also send to fax, family yes. in India. So I remember that very well. Okay, I do think, though, on Colin's question about your unique qualifications, there's a headline about you, Neil. And I think you'd probably know what I'm going to bring up. I think I could yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, but guess. there's a headline that, that Google paid you $100 million to stay at Google. Because Twitter was interested in having you work at Twitter. And this, mm -hmm. I think, was around 2011. You know, I can't remember the exact year, and I'm not going to comment about any of that sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, there's all, all kinds of speculation on the internet. What I've learned is that nothing ever dies on the internet, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So, okay, let's get into some of the product feedback then, because mm -hmm. we have a list. All right, we have a, let's do we have it. a list. But I, I think, you know, in coming into this conversation, we asked our community as well about like what subject matter was interesting. And since we've been uploading to YouTube, you know, from 2010, 2011 to now, Probably the most substantial change is short-form content, right? Mm -hmm. YouTube Shorts is one of the most substantial changes to the ecosystem. Um, a lot of the announcements that are being made this week, yeah. you know, largely about um, supporting short-form content as well and, and the increase of short-form content, lowering bar the, the barrier to entry to upload to YouTube. I'm curious because you come from an, you know, the ad tech background. You've essentially mm -hmm. enabled our ability to, to monetize what we do on the platform the biggest question is around shorts monetization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that we're, we're a couple months into it, um, what is the future of shorts monetization and, and that ad product? Is that a realistic future for creators to be able to monetize at the same scale that we monetize on long form content? Yeah. I mean, that's, that is a, that is, I think a pretty profound question. And, and I, I know that that's a question that's on the top of mind for creators, frankly, of all sizes. Yeah. Uh, and I know that your your community gives you gives you that feedback as well. I'd say a couple things. First of all, um, you know this is going to sound cliched, but you know we really still are in the very early days of that journey in terms of shorts and shorts monetization in particular. I'll come back to that in a second. Okay. But the kind of one meta point that I would want to make is, you know, the the we are very invested in YouTube Shorts. But we are also a long-form platform. We're also a live platform. We're a podcasting platform in the sense of like this conversation we're having here. And so um, living up to that mission of being truly multi-format, you are creative people. You have a way of connecting with your audience. And what my job is to provide you with the tool set, the stage, if you will, to do that in whatever format works for you. And so if you were telling me that you were 100% all in on shorts, I would say that's great. If you're telling me that you tried it and you're really 100% in on long form, uh, that's great too. And so I just want to leave that meta message to all the creators out there that really, ultimately, it's got to be what works for them and their audience. So I'll say that on the creative side. On your question around monetization, um, my experience, and you know, I've you know, have built a career building ad products, is that um, it's really, really important to get that um, fit in terms of 
you know, viewer value proposition, creator value proposition on the short side, as you know, that is what we have been kind of maniacally focused on for the last few years. And then if we can get that right, which we feel like we have, you know, shorts, I think, has just surpassed 70 billion views a day. Back in January, that number was 50 billion. So it's continuing to grow at an incredibly rapid pace. Then the monetization pieces will come because the audience is there. And we know at Google and YouTube how to turn that into ad products that work for the viewers and therefore work for the advertisers. And I would just say that we are still in the early days of that journey. But since we've launched, you know, we announced actually at, at Madon the, the new, you know, YPP program, you yeah. know, shorts monetization. Since we've launched the RevShare model, um, creator payouts have increased every single month since launching it. And so like the trajectory is there. We still have ways to go. Um, but that is going to come through the invention of ads products. You've already seen, I think, um, uh, both on the direct response side and on the brand side of our advertiser products, um, a suite of products now that, frankly, some of didn't even exist 12 months ago. So imagine what it's going to look like 12 months from now. So I think we're on that journey. The monetization is going to be there. My vision is that um, both in terms of audience building and in monetization, um, it should be the it should be really about what the creators are looking to do, and then all those pieces should take care of themselves. So we're in it for the long haul. I'm very very committed to it. It's the reason why we have a robust scalable program around shorts monetization, as opposed to say like a fund or something like that. Uh, is because I think that my experience is that like we just we know how we're going to get there. Do you think it would be something that Samir and I were talking about? Is that potentially it would be helpful to supplement? the revenue share on shorts with bringing back a fund. Do you think that's like a, a smart thing to do or do you think funds should be sort of left? I, you know, I think from my standpoint, I really, you know, I, and I, I share this with our team all the time too, is we really want to do the right thing from a long game perspective. And really the only answer to this is to continue to build that monetization capability really from the ground up. That means good advertiser-facing products for brand brand use cases, for direct response use cases, making sure that they work from a user standpoint, that there's guardrails in terms of, you know, protecting the user experience. And ultimately, that's what turns into creator revenue. That, I think, has to be like the, the, the like kind of the, the focus of our teams. I think, you know, a, a fund was a way for us to sort of get things off the ground in the near term, but funds are not scalable. Um, and I don't think funds show long-term commitment. And they don't, uh, for a couple reasons. One is like they really are limited to the purview of a handful of creators, but also they um, they don't have the predictability of the YouTube partner program. Like we, you know, one of the things that I'm very proud of is that the YouTube partner program is pretty transparent and it's broadly predictable. Like the rev share concepts, um, the, the mechanics of the payouts, how it moves from an ad dollar ultimately to a creator dollar, like that's pretty transparent. And so I would, I would rather replicate what we built on the VOD side of things to shorts as opposed to like a fund, which I just don't think scales. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I think, you know, candidly, we were heavily invested in shorts last year mm -hmm. and it brought us substantial growth. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of our fears was that some of that growth was subscribers that were interested in the content we're making on Shortform mm -hmm. and a subscriber that is enjoys Shortform content versus a subscriber who will sit for a two-hour podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a that was a, a challenge for us that we were like, I don't know that we want to carry that 
into this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've reduced our short form output, mm-hmm. but we've actually extended our episodes to be way longer. Mm-hmm. Now we're in the two hour plus range and we're seeing our watch time go up, which mm-hmm. is bumping our CPMs and our, mm-hmm. our, our AdSense revenue is at the highest it's ever been. Um, so I think on shorts though, what, what I will say from a feedback perspective, mm-hmm. the most viewed Colin and Samir videos on YouTube are shorts that are made by other people. Mm-hmm. Now, no one, at least that I know, uses the remix tool for that, mm-hmm. right? They're downloading the content, re-editing it, mm-hmm. and uploading it. And from a brand perspective, that's totally fine. Like, Colin and I view it as the more our brand can out, get out there, mm-hmm. the better. We're building a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm curious about in the future is, like, how can the content ID system be enhanced so that that, is, that does become mutually beneficial for creators? Um, where the remix tool is unlikely, I think, at all times to be used, right? People mm-hmm. are going to download and cut it in their own way. How can we track that? Um, and can we have the option to say, hey, we'd actually like this short to link back to our video. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, maybe we want to share revenue because you're using our source material. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, I think you guys know we we do have community guidelines that are against, you know, taking people's content verbatim and just kind of uploading sure. it, right? Like all the, all, all that sort of thing. But I think what you're describing is like, it's sufficiently derivative in a way that could yeah. ultimately sort of work for you. It's and, also, the, but I would say like the cultural guidelines between YouTube creators mm-hmm. are different than the community guidelines, right? Sure. And there yeah. are comps even like the NBA with yeah. their playmakers. Mm-hmm. Like that's beneficial for them, for creators to have access to the footage. Yeah. And there are creators at scale where it's kind of beneficial for us too, mm-hmm. if people yeah. want to create yeah. with it. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely something that will, I mean, Content ID has worked really well, I would argue, for our overall ecosystem around broadly that sort of use case that you're describing. So um, so I will noodle on that. I guess I'll ask this, but I'll suggest it mm-hmm. more yeah. so. Is yeah. like, I think the way that it can work, because we found that Content ID does not pick up when someone adds their own subtitles even, right? When they tangibly change the visual of it, it's going to not necessarily pick up. To me, it feels like, like our voices or something recognizable that potentially will need to be protected or need to enter into that system eventually would be the best way to to track if someone's using our content. Yeah, I mean, look, we're looking at all of those things, and I mean, some of that is we're looking at in the in the broader context of sort of how video audio content is going to be transformed with you know all the AI tools, et cetera, that yeah. are out there as well. So I think. Generally, conceptually, we're thinking about all those things, but this is probably the way that we're going to figure it out is like conversations with creators. I mean, it's it's kind of what I do. It's what our teams do. So this is the type of stuff that's going to go into the design and whether it whether it works exactly the way content like content ID works in a very, very, very specific way, like kind of a mash, uh, I mean, a, a match of a hash kind yeah. of video audio type file. Um, in the world that you're describing? Is it something conceptually that's similar, but a little bit of a different technology? Those are all the types of things that we're, yeah. we're talking about. But I definitely get the, the use case that you're describing, um, both in sort of the mix scenario, but also in terms of like how technology is going to be able to, you know, kind of replicate some of these things as well. Yeah, you bring up AI there, and that's definitely something we want to touch on. I'm curious, what do you think are the biggest challenges that AI poses for the the health of YouTube? And then what are the sort of biggest benefits that you see? 
Yeah. I mean, look, so I, I'm an optimist. I mean, I do think there's challenges and I'll, I'll get to those in a second. But I think on the whole, it's going to my, my um, thesis is that it's going to be a net positive and probably a net really big positive for our creator ecosystem. And I'll, I'll give you sort of my thoughts, but I'm curious to get yours too. In fact, like a lot of the things that we're going to, that we're talking about at made on YouTube are actually about AI enhancing human creativity. At the end of the day, I firmly believe that there's never going to be a replacement of that probably in the world, but certainly on YouTube. Like people want to connect with you, your audience, you know, the stories that you tell, the nuanced ways that you actually explain the creator economy, et cetera. There is no replication for the fact that it's coming from you and coming from your expertise. Having said that, I do think that there's things that we will be able to do with AI that will enhance that profoundly. And it will show up in terms of creator tools, right? Change my background, enhance my video in this particular way, augment it with this video that I've been able to generate from say a text prompt, like all of that is like super, super magical and I get super excited about it, but it's not a replacement in any way for our creators. Uh, I think, so that's why I'm bullish. Like it's gonna be a set of tools on the around the creator side. By the way, I also think it'll be a set of like really interesting tools and capabilities perhaps for your audience as well. So for example, um, you know, I've consumed your content. Um, let's say I've watched, you know, an hour and a half of it. Uh, is there something that I could do to test the takeaways that come out of it? Can I can I um, digest that in a particular mm. way that's interesting, that's useful to me? Um, you know, like the classic example I give is like a kid watching an algebra video on YouTube. Could they quiz themselves afterwards, right? Like now yeah. with generative AI, you can do those types of things. So I think the positive are going to be a lot of those interesting use cases. There are challenges. You mentioned one of them around, right. um, uh, you know, things like creator rights and those. That's a very important sort of critical thing to think about. And then the other really big challenge um, that I think we will um, put a lot of resources to, and I think ultimately we can handle, but is going to be a challenge, which is around, you know, responsibility and making sure that we're dealing with things like deep fakes and, yeah. you know, potential misinformation, because the cost of that has become really low with generative AI. We had an interesting scenario that happened yeah. to us because right. our, our voices are like so incredibly available on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So our voices were cloned. It was uh, as part of our interview with Mr. Beast, mm -hmm. basically that conversation was, was taken, our voices were cloned and our lips were deep faked to talk about an online casino that Jimmy mm -hmm. was was opening with a link to put in credit card information. We were able to get it taken down very fast. It was not on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, but that to me feels like the future is like, is there a name? And would you describe that as like a like a true deep fake or like kind of like a shallow fake where like somebody just, I think it was clear that it, if you look closely enough, it was a scam. If you looked closely mm -hmm. enough, yes, but- okay. But a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people don't. Yeah. I, I think like the world glances; they don't mm -hmm. necessarily read, right? I think so also, our assumption is that this is only getting easier to do. Yeah, and, like it's and the will worst. Only looks better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think like a name, image, and likeness ID is something that will I think will be inevitable for mm -hmm. creators, right? Mm -hmm. Like we will have to protect that. Yeah. Um, and do you yeah. think that that is a um, that's like an active conversation in the creator community. I mean, obviously you're, you've thought a lot about this. I get some of this feedback when creators talk to me, but I'm curious how deeply penetrated this type of thinking has been, because I have to say that even a few months ago, it wasn't a top of mind thing in a way that I 
thought it might I think it be. sometimes comes up in like fun conversation around even licensing in the future, right? Like, okay. can someone license our voice for a podcast ad read? Mm -hmm. Can they generate it themselves? Even when you think about ad tech, mm -hmm. like you'd have to assume that advertisements could be generated in the mm -hmm. future, right? For sure, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. like, can, can you license your name, image, and likeness for that and say, mm -hmm. hey, you have access to this, you can generate an ad. So more as it. like an affirmative opportunity the, versus a I think that it's both sides of the together. coin, right? Sure. It's both yeah. sides of the coin. It's exciting and it's also scary because, you know, what do you what do you do when you don't have control? Yeah. I also um, think right now we may be uh, uniquely experiencing it perhaps more than some other creators because uh, obviously like in that episode with Mr. Beast, mm -hmm. he is someone who is linked to money and right, giving right, away right. money. Yeah. Right. So that's easier. I think I'm sure finance creators have that problem. I know yeah. they have that problem in the comments with, like bots and things yeah. like that. There, there um, is. A, I imagine though, it's something that like, we may be a little bit ahead right now in terms right. of having that fear and optimism yeah. in that but, scenario. Mm -hmm. There is a conversation about AI in the creator community, primarily because of a creator named Quebelcop. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with his channel? Uh, a little he's, bit, yeah. He's transitioned to essentially an AI generated version of, him, of himself. It's mm -hmm. an avatar. Mm -hmm. The transcripts are AI generated. Mm -hmm. The voice is AI generated. And that's caused some polarity in, in the creator community yeah. of like, it's not a fully autonomous channel, mm -hmm. but it feels like it's moving in a direction where these are, you know, like it's like a VTuber, but mm -hmm. the transcripts are based on a history of mm -hmm. 10 years of, of content creation. Mm -hmm. That has caused some polarity of like, is that a positive or negative for mm -hmm. the ecosystem and health of What YouTube? do you guys think? I get concerned when I think about if there is an influx of semi-autonomous content mm -hmm. and it perhaps floods YouTube. That's the, your concern is the and, flooding yeah, piece. Yeah, and there concern. is and there is perhaps an appetite for it, and it starts to change uh, what it means for viewers to enjoy the platform and what it means for creators to succeed on the platform. If there truly is so much, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I I think I um, I mean, I, I remains to be seen for sure, right? Like nobody nobody knows the sort of the full picture there. My feeling is, and this has been my experience on YouTube, and it's. Uh, which is um, the content that audiences want to see ultimately sort of what rises to the to the top. And, you know, our corpus is pretty enormous already. And there's a, you know, distribution of, you know, uh, engagement with, with videos. They're not all sort of created equal. Now, you said something I think there, um, Colin, that I think is is interesting, which is like, the fear is maybe the audiences gravitate towards that. Yeah. That's certainly a possibility. I still come back to the fact that like what really, really makes YouTube what it is, is, is you guys like it's, it's, it's creators and it like creators are like human beings, right? Like we watch live sports because we want to see the best humans compete against each other in that type of an environment. And it's like, that's a form of storytelling because you're like you're connected, you're invested in those people that are there, um, as opposed to if they were like bots arguing, with, you know, mm -hmm. playing against each other. And I so that, that's my take. Just um, quickly on live sports, and yeah. we'll get deeper into live sports. But okay. I also think that it's the best unscripted content out there because you don't know where it's going. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that I think is becoming harder and harder to find the more content gets uploaded on streaming platforms and on YouTube, it's like, we kind of have a sense of the storytelling formats now. Yeah, although what I was gonna say is the reason why you gravitate towards maybe sports in this case is because it's like a real human being and you don't know where they're going. It's yeah. a story that's unfolding. Sure. 
And I think that that aspect is back to your kind of yeah. original question. That's going to remain. Yeah. Well, I think also that everyone has a feeling of ownership over YouTube as a creator mm -hmm. of like whatever got them into YouTube mm -hmm. and then a fear that YouTube will look different, right? Like we as creators constantly talk about what the meta is of the moment. Mm -hmm. And like when we really got into and when we started the Colin and Samir channel was during what we call like the, the Casey Neistat era mm -hmm. when Casey was, was vlogging and it felt so uniquely human, mm -hmm. you know? And now we're kind of in this, I'd say format driven era of challenges and game shows and mm -hmm. Uh, almost like the reinvention of of reality TV on onto YouTube, and so I think everyone has like a a, a mm -hmm. fear that the meta changes to something that they're uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. But it is at the end of the day, I think the AI fear comes because audiences actually might like it. If you look at like animated content, mm -hmm. you know we like if that one of the arguments was like if SpongeBob was an AI generated voice and an AI generated transcript, would you care? Mm -hmm. Probably not. I I yeah. I'm, I mean, although I, I just still think that like, you know, whether it's music, whether it's creative content, like what, what you produce, what creators produce, like that human aspect of it, I just think is going to be like core to what YouTube is. I mean, I do think that one of the kind of our lifeblood and what really distinguishes us from any other platform out there, even in this multi-format world, even with things like trends and kind of the thing of the day is like is like creators. Like what I yeah. love to hear, for example, is when, you know, creators describe their experience with YouTube Shorts is like they say things like, oh, when I'm on YouTube Shorts, I feel like my audience remembers who's on the other side of that camera. They remember my face. They and as opposed to like, you know, just going zipping through kind of a feed sort of thing. And I would argue that that is because our ethos is about creators, right? Like that's ultimately what it's about. And you're right. Like the meta kind of like sort of uh, format du jour, et cetera, might change over time. And yes, creators have to adjust to those types of things, but it still comes back to the fact that it is ultimately mm. about the creators. I do think the one thing I've heard you talk about before is connection. Like what makes YouTube different is mm -hmm. the connection mm -hmm. to the audience. Yeah, that's our magic. And I think that's, for us, we push a lot of creators to think about the concept of building depth with their audience mm -hmm. rather than just sheer width. Yeah. Um, and for us, that comes in the form of very long form conversation. Mm -hmm. We're able to build depth with our audience through that. Um, and we look at depth and measure depth from the perspective of uh, watch time and AVD, mm -hmm. average view duration. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you think about measuring connection. I mean, I think personally, I think uh, it, it really varies across, you know, across creator types. I would argue that with short form content, creators on YouTube are able to establish, you know, creators that have leaned into that format. They're not producing, you know, two hour, one hour conversations, super in-depth conversations sure. like this. They're producing content that's 15 to 30 seconds. But I would argue over some period of time, they can have that depth of engagement with their audience in that format too. Gamers, you know, I, we have gamers from 10 hour live streams to producing 30 second shorts. And I would argue that for whatever, for that varies from creator to creator, you know, our, um, podcasters on our platform connect with their audience in different ways than vloggers do it. And so I do think that that's, um, it's different. My experience is that it's different from creator to creator. 
And the common thread is that YouTube's the platform that allows you to actually do that in the first place. I mean, we have creators that, um, you know, have never done anything like a post in between their video uploads. We have creators that lean into that super, super heavily, and that's where their connection and creativity is. And so I would argue to them, and I think this is the way they think about it, is like it's not just about engagement time on their videos. It's mm -hmm. about that interaction that they're having on their posts in between videos. And that's all depth of audience in my mind. Do subscribers still matter, Neil? I mean, I you guys know this. Like, I mean, uh, and you know how roughly our algorithm works. I mean, I I do think that they they matter in um, in a whole multitude of ways, right? Obviously, we still have the subscriptions feed. Um, they're, you know, I think that they're they're an important part of the part of the picture. Yeah, what do you guys think? I mainly just want to know if they're going to remain an important part or if they're going to lessen in significance because I think that was one of our concerns. Why do you think they would why do you think they would why do, what would what do you I, think would change it? I think we've realized that you know we grew a lot because of shorts totally. in terms of subscribers uh, in 2022 and, and it didn't feel like there was a, a heavy direct correlation. It always comes down to do we make the best video each week? 100%. Yeah. I also think though the question that I always have is like active subscribers and we look at returning viewers as a metric of mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. how active is our community because yeah. again we're we're constantly trying to measure the depth of connection that we currently have. Mm -hmm. Right? And that can be quantifiable through uh you know, average views per video. Mm -hmm. That can be quantifiable through returning viewers, mm -hmm. uh, engagements per video. But subscribers to me feels like the least relevant metric to our depth of connection because they could have subscribed five years ago for something completely different sure. and not be interested. I think it's part of the mix and I think it varies from channel to channel. I mean, we have, I, I mean, I, we work with creators. I've talked to many creators who've shifted sort of completely in terms of the nature of the content that they produce. And yeah, in that case, it has a different sort of characteristic uh, versus a creator who's just starting out, for example, or a creator who's been very, very consistent in terms of their format. But, you know, I think that in terms of like, has their relative importance changed or decreased or increased? I would say that they're subscriber counts are still mm. part of the mix in the same way that they've been yeah. on YouTube. And for YouTube, it's exactly what you guys said. It's about producing that content that's going to be the most engaging and most relevant for your audience. And that's ultimately what matters. Do you ever hide views on videos? Uh, I just think about no. like the context yeah. of Instagram and how like now people can keep likes as a private metric. Yeah. I mean, as you know, anytime we make changes to yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. To that, uh, that part of yeah, the real estate. Is a actually, very, don't very make that change. <laughs> don't make that change. But I thought about it. I was like, this public view thing is, is uh, like one of the most substantial differences. It's like everyone knows how well we're doing our job. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah, even Netflix doesn't share. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't have any chance. We don't yeah. have any, any plans to, to change that. I mean, we're a video platform where it's about viewing the videos yeah. and that's, that's, that's what it is. Kind of core to what we do. Every year at Madeon, I feel like I'm kind of waiting for a community product mm -hmm. from YouTube. Uh, like I, you know, we have a Discord community that's mm -hmm. where we engage. But to me, it almost feels you mean more than strange. comments and posts. Yeah, it feels the, almost the, strange that it's off platform. That we're like we're building a depth with our community. Yeah, but the comment section is not the best place to foster community. The comment section like isn't static. Every mm -hmm. time you put out a new video, it's almost like it's going downstream. Mm -hmm. And if you're a community member you're not going to come back to a video that's maybe two weeks old and have that conversation or months old. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about like a Discord is that it is that static sort of location. But when you guys think about Discord in terms of community, is it sort of that live aspect um, that really draws you? Or is it like sort of like the fact 
or like the synchronous aspect that sort of that that is that what you mean by yeah it's probably the synchronous okay, aspect yeah. just that mm -hmm. like we have there's also a place where you know it's it's multifaceted in that you can dm you can have you know mm -hmm. uh, a conversation about different subject matters you can have threaded conversations mm -hmm. I mean, and that, we sort of have that on some of our live content. It's sure. not the same way, yeah, right? Yeah. Like with creators engaging in chat and, and the like. Yeah, I would say chat is where we see community. Yeah. The, the most substantial community on YouTube is, is chat, mm -hmm. right? In terms of synchronous. In community. terms of synchronous, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. um, asynchronous community is is your audience on your sure. channel, mm -hmm. yeah. really. But but I hear you on that. Yeah, that, that to me, I would say like- Interesting. You know, it's one of the biggest opportunities, I think, yeah. for mm -hmm. YouTube from a product perspective. Again, when we think about mm -hmm. like what we're doing, like our business model as creators, right? Mm -hmm. And CEO to CEO, let me bring you into <laughs> the world of Colin and Samir. Um, but like we are building a very specific audience, right? Mm -hmm. Through our content. Um, people like us, we're yep. building people like us. Now, they build a depth of connection that allows us to message to them uh, advertising messaging, mm -hmm. right? Relevant products, relevant mm -hmm. advertisers that we do through brand partnerships. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it allows the you know YouTube video surface to be an advertising surface mm -hmm. for relevant products to the people watching. Um, but to take it a step further, if we want to transact directly with our audience, if we want to you know continue to foster that community, we're taking them off platform to do that. Mm -hmm. We're going to, you know, we have a newsletter mm -hmm. um, where we where we send it three times a week to our audience. So we have an email list with them that we can own. Uh, we take them to a Discord community. And I think that's the piece for me that, you know, I look at as partners, you know, yeah. and I'm like, I would like to retain some of that inside the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, but even, you know, memberships and alternative monetization, like we're doing those off platform. Why? I would say to me, you know, the 70-30 split is is one piece of it. Okay. That's like, it's more competitive off platform. Mm -hmm. And I understand that keeping it in the ecosystem has a lot of value. Mm -hmm. um, but I would also say that, and maybe this is flipping into a question to you, but I'd also say it doesn't necessarily feel like a priority to YouTube. Yeah, I mean, look, again, our priorities are ultimately driven. And, you know, I know this because I sit in a ton of these product reviews every single week are driven by what your priorities are. I mean, that is where our roadmap comes from. Even back to the beginning of this conversation in terms of short form content, we got a lot of feedback from yeah. creators and from viewers, but from creators around short form content. And so our priorities are driven that way. I mean, you, you know, in, in, in your, in your point, you, you said a few things there. Um, you talk about creating those commercial opportunities that feel relevant to yeah. your audience. I mean, that's obviously our ads business, we should mm -hmm. continue to enable that monetization for you. But we've been investing heavily in enabling shopping opportunities for our creators. And, you know, whether they're physical goods, whether they're services, we really do want to enable it. We want to have tagging in your videos, right? Like I think the latest stat I saw was something like 150 billion times we've served up a piece of content, whether it's short or long form with a shopping video. Quick aside shelf, on that know. point, yeah. we just saw from uh, one of our team members that we made like a significant amount of money in a short that linked through YouTube shopping yeah. to our products. Uh, more, obviously awesome. more, it had 36 million views. It made more than the ad revenue on, on the short. So uh, I think those are going to yeah. be the types of opportunities. Which is significant. Really, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and we want to have that back to your point. Like we want to, we think it's good from a viewer standpoint or viewers tell us this to actually have that be as frictionless and seamless yeah. as possible because they don't want to get away from what they were on YouTube in the first place doing, which is watching your content. One thing so I think is substantial yeah. that 
we, we talk about quite a bit internally and don't get any ideas from this, Neil, but I do think it's like very substantial that YouTube doesn't ask to participate in like our brand partnerships business, mm -hmm. you know, like, or, or in the businesses that we're building on top of YouTube or even that are linked through YouTube. I do find that like, when you look at the pie chart of a creator business, like mm -hmm. brand deals is going to be probably one of the most substantial uh, or merchandise if you're a different type of creator. And those are both businesses that we get to build on the platform, but, or utilize the platform to build, but retain all the revenue. Yeah. I mean, I'll just tell you sort of my philosophy yeah. on that. And this has gone, you know, and I've been, you know, building products at YouTube for a very long time. It comes back to me about um, YouTube needs to ultimately uh, needs to feel like your home and needs to continue to feel like your home. And so uh, when I hear about those types of opportunities that are off-platform business building opportunities for our creators, um, I think that's awesome. Uh, as long as like, you know, they feel like their home is still YouTube, their audience is on YouTube, uh, we're enabling like this whole, you know, broader ecosystem outside of YouTube but those creators are still YouTubers. They're yeah. they their audiences, and that's that's really what I care. About. Having said that, like, should we make some of those things easier? Yeah, we're investing in shopping first party, uh, being able to link to uh, third party. We have an affiliate program. We want to create all those opportunities. Channel memberships. We're investing. We're trying to build those products on platform. But if there's ways that you generate money off platform through a newsletter or yeah. what have you, like to me, I think that's pretty awesome because. Your home is YouTube. That's where you're building yeah. your audience. And that's that's ultimately, I think, great for you, but it's also, frankly, great for YouTube. On the flip side of that, I'm curious how you feel about creators who are finding off-platform opportunities that are also uh, content driven by advertising. If you think about uh, one of the comments that we got in our Discord was about Emma Chamberlain and the fact that her podcast is exclusive to Spotify. For me, I feel like YouTube would be a better place because she's so YouTube native mm -hmm. if her podcast were to stay on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to have her podcast on YouTube. I mean, we've, we've, uh, you know, speak podcast. I mean, you, you guys know this, like we've been investing. It, it's interesting without having us have done much, frankly, you know, that's on us. We're one, one of the world's largest podcasting right. platforms today. And so for the last couple of years, as you know, we've been investing both on the listener side, but actually this year in particular, uh, more on the podcaster side in terms of like uh, episode-specific analytics, podcast playlists, um, those types of features on the viewer side, things like, you know, not just having hosted podcasts, but access to RSS feed so you mm -hmm. can get those podcasts. So. We want to be back to this sort of multi-format thing. We want to be the best platform for podcasters as well. So my, my answer would be if you're, it's really about your home audience, your home base, like the people, you know, the people that mm -hmm. know your content and you should be able to connect with them, whether you're doing a vlog or a podcast and YouTube should be the place for that. that that's, I, that's back to this sort of home-based yeah. argument. I think for us, and this might be a little bit of a reaction to shorts, Samir and I, I think feel very, attached to long-form content mm -hmm. and to protecting what we see as the bread and butter of YouTube, which is long-form content. And I look at Emma Chamberlain's podcast or uh, creators like Michelle Carre with Challenge Accepted or Destroying, and I think, man, I, I hope that YouTube can keep these people on the platform. Mm -hmm. And some of them, like in the Emma Chamberlain example, go off because there's an exclusive deal mm -hmm. to leave. Um, 
and I know on YouTube there's exclusive deals for streamers. And I wonder, would there ever be exclusive deals for long-form content creators, whether it's podcasts or serialized content? Yeah, I mean, my, my take on that is ultimately it goes back to what has brought us success, has brought our creators success, is to really focus on um, the core products, like making sure that we are the best you know, long-form platform, the best short-form platform, investing in the product, building the monetization products that make it so that if you invest the time to produce the content, you can generate a return. And that's the only way that I know uh, um, success comes in the long term. So that's mm. what that's what I'm going to focus on. That's what we're going to focus on. Uh, and so, because otherwise I feel like everything else is sort of kind of short-term yeah. in nature. Okay. Let's talk about the NFL deal. NFL Sunday ticket. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the largest deal in Google history. Uh, I mean, I, we've, we, we do lots of deals at okay. Google. A um, big deal. It is, it $14 is billion. Dollars. A, uh, an important investment for so, sure. So Are you a big football fan? or I'm a sportsman. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. I watch sports. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, funny enough, watched Sunday Ticket on YouTube TV on, in the split screen view, which mm -hmm. was super cool. Uh, and th th this NFL deal to me feels like a pretty substantial moment in YouTube history. And I was, I, I'm going to give you one feature feedback thing here on YouTube TV, because I know you were heavily involved in YouTube mm -hmm. TV. But when I'm watching the NFL on YouTube TV, is there a reason I can't go into a YouTube video? Like, can I, wouldn't it make sense if I could watch like destroying right after or in, in the commercials mm -hmm. of, you know, YouTube TV that I could just watch a YouTube video? I have to go out of YouTube and, or out of YouTube TV and into YouTube to watch YouTube. Yeah, I mean, so that's really interesting. I happen to be a big- What I yeah. would like and what feels good to me, and I know you can watch Sunday Ticket on YouTube, mm -hmm. but you're bringing a ton of audience to a YouTube ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I would love for that audience to be able to discover us. Yeah. You know, and maybe it's like, yeah, that, that, I'm just curious about that. So what I tell you on that, Samir, is I, I do think that that is going to happen. Um, and I don't, and I think, and I think it's going to happen kind of in both directions. I mean, there's obviously the NFL has an audience uh, that audience is on YouTube or YouTube TV now. Um, but I also think, um, you know, there's a latent, aud late, latent audience that was on YouTube that is also now going to be more interested in the live games right. that we have. So I do think it's going to go both ways. And so I think the, the the short answer to your question is there's no reason why those types of things should not be enabled. Like I think that they're all yeah. pro user, they're pro creator. The the great thing about the NFL is, you know, the, one of the reasons why they partnered with YouTube is because of our creator ecosystem. You've yeah. seen it in their the amount of content and amount of access that they're giving to creators, um, but also the amount of just kind of um, content that's produced organically around live games, which was happening by the way before Sunday Ticket is enormous on our platform. And now, now that the live games are actually there, that's just going to grow yeah. as well. And, you know, so I think that, but in terms of like user choice, like you don't need a dish on your house anymore, kind of a thing. In terms of like the technology innovation back to building products like MultiView, like I love it when we get mm -hmm. so much positive feedback on that. Uh, and then the third thing is like the creator ecosystem. When we meet with the NFL from the commissioner on down, they are very focused on that because they know that's what their fans want, particularly their younger fans. On the creator ecosystem piece, Colin mentioned the NBA playmakers mm -hmm. and 
creators being able to create, certain creators being able to create with NBA content. Mm -hmm. The NBA rights are up for grabs next year. Do you see that in the future of YouTube? I mean, we're very, I mean, so first of all, the NBA is a big partner of ours. Um, we work with the NBA. We've worked with them for a very, very long time. They have one of the largest sports channels on our platform. And they're very leaned in, as as, as you've seen. Like, they've been working with creators. They ha uh, have been working with, you know, their own content in many, many different ways for a very long time. Um, you know, right now, the focus is, you know, making sure that we have an incredible Sunday ticket experience, NFL experience for our fans on the platform. Um, so there's probably nothing I'll say about, about that broader sort of rights conversation other than the fact that, you know, they're one of our close partners, just like the NFL is. And really, again, their interest in YouTube is for the same reason, which is right. that's where their fans are, particularly their younger fans. And the expectation of those, those younger fans is um, they want to consume all of that content there all in one spot. So like your example uh, is actually, you know, I think is a very, is a very consumer driven example our largest and fastest growing screen, as you guys know, is the television screen. And the expectation of young people is they want their live game there alongside their favorite creators. And that seamless experience, is, I think, is going to be part of the magic that you're going to see here. I think one of the most interesting things is that while I was watching the NFL Sunday Ticket on mm -hmm. YouTube TV, I was in the off times scrolling shorts. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can have me on both of those devices feels pretty substantial uh, to the future of the platform. And I think if we can connect where the long-form creators fit in, like where does Jesser fit in if I'm watching a live NBA game and then shorts, and then can I go over to a long-form Jesser video? That to me, like that's the benef mutually beneficial ecosystem to us as long-form creators. So I couldn't too. agree with you more. I mean, yeah. and one of the reasons why I've been so excited about, I mean, I happen to be a sports fan myself, but like a, a big reason is like these types of like very pro viewer type use cases that yeah. like work for our creator ecosystem, but also then work for the sports leagues as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm all we, in on that. We do have to ask you what you watch on YouTube. <laughs> that was requested <laughs> from Marquez. Marquez. Yeah. Directly uh, to you. Yeah. Said, well, what like, do you actually I mean, watch? I watch obviously you guys. I watch a lot of Marquez. It's the right answer. Uh, you, know? yeah. 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 you can just Marquez. stop with us. Just stop. Yeah, there it is. I yeah. Yeah. Straight from the YouTube CEO. Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of like a lot of the creators that, you know, people that you've had on your program. Um, let's see what else. I, but I watch a lot of, you know, my sports highlight reel is on YouTube, right? Like I watch a, I watch a lot of a lot of sports highlights. I, we're a big music household, so you know, everything from Taylor Swift to Olivia Rodrigo and everything in between. Those are kind a, of, uh, wow. kind of, and they're close together. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We have young daughters. I'm saying, aren't they a little, little bit, yeah, a little bit of a battle yeah, right now. Yeah. Know? So you might just, well, you, you know, gotta we, pick a side in there. Our, in, <laughs> our, in our household, they're both, uh, they're, they're both, both okay, very yeah. popular. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could go through cool. a whole list of I, creators that I watch on a regular basis. I have one more question for you. Yeah. And I feel like I have to ask you cause I get the opportunity to sit with you here. Um, if you were CEO of Colin and Samir, what would you focus on right now? Ah, oh, that is an interesting. Well, first of all, I don't. I'm. I'm going to say something very naive because you guys yeah. have probably thought about it a million times more so than me. So, but again, I would. I honestly would come back to, you know, because I get a. I get a lot of this. I get these questions from creators regularly, and my sort of kind of point is. And I don't need to tell you guys this because you know this probably better than most, almost any creator in the world, is it really comes back to uh, connecting with your audience, doing what you 
really find to be the most fulfilling way to do that. So I'm honestly repeating back some of what you said, which is like that depth of audience, like really building that, establishing that home base is the basis of where all the opportunities come from. And, you know, creators that take their eye off that ball, you know, that's, that's where, that's, that's where the problem starts. Is, is there anything more specific that you think, you know, looking out the next five years, knowing that you have an understanding of the vision of YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, probably best that we should be thinking about as creators who are committed to YouTube, you know, for the foreseeable future. I think a lot of it is going to come down to, you know, kind of a, uh, what we talked about in terms of AI. I do think that that is going to be a, um, a platform type shift in the sense that like, you know, desktop to mobile was when that happened, meaning that it, it really is going to change. I think the creation process the process by which you connect with your audience. As I said, I think it's going to do that in a way that is positive for creators. It's going to be an enhancement, but it is going to be an adjustment. And so all these conversations that we had around kind of kind of the intellectual conversation around, you know, what are your assets? How do you think about them? That's one aspect, but also then how do you harness the power of this? And I think creators that figure out some of these things or think through them that's um, that's a piece of it. A lot of technology needs to get invented there still to make all of this possible. But I would just, I'd point that out. I do think that it is like a paradigm shift type moment that we find ourselves in. Mm. I appreciate um, you taking cool. the time. Of course. Well, yeah, yeah, thanks, this is Dan. awesome. No, this I really awesome. Appreciate, appreciate you guys making the time. It's yeah. great, uh, great to catch up. You had us here in, in one of your offices. We would love to have you at ours. Yeah, come so, check it out. Yeah, where where exactly are you? We're guys? in Venice, mm-hmm. in Venice. We're not okay. so far from from. I Google would love there. to do that. I'd That'd be love great to swing by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We can make this like a yeah. regular thing. I'll bring my dad. Sure, yeah. I'll be excited to meet you. Yeah, that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> cool. To, yeah, awesome. awesome. Thanks, cool. Neil. Well, thanks, thanks for Neil. making time. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Great. Oh yes, we do need to take a thumbnail. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll have to do. Yeah, we didn't even talk about it. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get. Well, while you're taking the thumbnail photos, we, we'll need a few shots because we're going to A-B yeah, test. Now we're A-B testing. Um, yeah, that was going to so, be my yeah. breaking yeah. news to you guys. Yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. are going to be in the, uh, yeah, in the in beta. The, in so I'm very excited about that. We're, I, I mean, can't we're wait super to hear. Excited. Yeah. 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 As Jimmy showed us, we need an, probably an open mouth and a closed mouth so that we can <laughs> A-B test properly. That was the properly. brilliant insight. Yeah. That came out of that. Yes, <laughs> and yes, you can look yes. at uh, David. You want me to pull closer? I don't know. It'll just be you with the mic. Yeah. Yeah. And we can actually start. Let's, Samir, can you move the mic to the side? Yeah, I'll just yeah. move it fully off. Yeah, fully okay, off. I'll just okay. move it off like that. And then you'd have to imagine at some point these will be artificially generated, right? We can just give some assets. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that, that's what I meant, by out. the way, in terms of yeah. like creator tools. Like, not every creator is going to do that, but that should be something that we should be able to yeah, similar ultimately to produce. Like a Netflix where or, it's like, or give we, you like three we, generated we ones. We probably need more than just AB. Yeah, yeah, no, right. I get we it. Yeah, we, we yeah. kind of need a ton of variations based on. Yeah, but would you want to be making those choices across? It's always a balance. Like, it might be different for different creators, but like, how much burden of that choice do you want? Um, Ideally, none. It's yeah, the thing okay. that keeps us up at night is thumbnails. Yeah. So it'd be yeah. But by the way, burden no, of choice not, in not terms every, of which one it chooses. Yeah. Or? Would you want to choose amongst ten artificially generated? No. Right, like you, no, as yeah. long no, as no, I no. felt they were representative of our brand, okay, I would be I, happy with. But it. would you want to have the last right of refusal on? That? Yeah, I would yeah. want to have guardrails. Like you want to yeah. check that yeah. box? Yeah, basically. I would have, yeah. have guardrails to say like, here's what I want in a thumbnail. But mm-hmm. then like, I'm happy for you to 
choose it based on the user. But you still want to be in the loop before it posts. Yeah, keep me yeah. in the loop, Neil. Yeah. Like, let me know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let me know what, it, what, shoot, like, just ping me and just be like, is this one cool? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, it's but good. But there are, there. I'm sure there will be creators ultimately and who will say, if I define the guardrails, yeah. off to the races. Oh, oh, oh for absolutely. sure. Yeah. I think also if that, you know, the kind of AI assistant in the st in studio gives me some of that and mm -hmm. it's just like just recommends that's, that's yeah. what I mean yeah that yeah, yeah. just recommends so, or just yeah. hey based on CTR let's go in this direction think, think about this that's super helpful because yeah. we are as creators we are riddled with self-doubt yeah we it's very hard for us to make those those confident choices mm -hmm. and we will change it constantly and yeah, if that was matter and we're all trying that, to figure yeah. out yeah. YouTube uh, yeah but it's an ever-moving yeah. target yeah. yeah well now you, you guys know so many that you know like the algorithm people like you can just yeah, talk yeah. directly to Todd. I mean, we know you, so we can just go straight to the source, yeah. Neil. Yeah. yeah. Again, you can just yeah. send the thumbnail yeah. options. You know, we'll product we'll, ideas we'll, out of this conversation. We'll I'm gonna text take these you. Back. We'll text you thumbnail options. <laughs> you can let <laughs> us know what you think. Neil, just straight from the CEO. I'll hey, actually, go with this. You'll be our AB test. We'll say, look, Neil said this one's gonna work. 